Okay, so sermon for this morning is I'm going to be preaching on, on fellowship um, or, or friendship. And just the first verse I want us to read is Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 42. If um, you just throw that up for us, thank you so much, Ellie. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let, let's just pray and ask for God's blessing on that, and then let's unpack it. So our Father in heaven, we just ask for your blessing upon your word this morning. Um, Lord, we know that the illumination of it comes from your spirit. And so we just ask that your spirit that, that knows the secrets of your heart would be here with us this morning, revealing those secrets to us and applying them to our lives. We ask that you would teach us and feed us on your heavenly manner. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Acts chapter 2 here, you've got um, a description that Luke gives us of what the early church was doing. So remember that... And the, the early church, you had on the day of Pentecost, these thousands of people that got saved when, when Peter, and Peter, when um, Peter announced, <laughs> announced the gospel. And, um, and then we have a description here of what this early church did. And we are told that they focused on the apostles' teaching, so they wanted to understand God's word. They wanted to fellowship with one another. That's the one we're going to unpack this morning. The breaking of bread, which is happening in, in each other's homes, probably a reference to communion, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so they were devoting themselves to these things. And so for us as, as the churches, we ask the question, now, what does it look like to be the church of God? Um, we should get our point of ref reference by going back to the Scripture and asking ourselves the question, well, what was the first Christians doing? Remember, we've been, we've been going over this the last couple of weeks when we were looking at the Jesus way. We asked the question, what does it mean to be a Christian or a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus? It's quite straightforward. We go back to the Word and we say, what were the first guys doing? What were the first disciples? What were the first apprentices doing? And in this context, we're saying, okay, what was the first church doing? What was that early church doing? And we told you there was teaching, it was fellowship, it was the Lord's Supper, and it was, and it was prayer. But today I want to focus in specifically on, on fellowship, fellowship. Now, um, fellowship is one of those words that we as Christians use um, all the time, and we probably don't know what we're talking about when we use it. It's like that, it's like that word that we just like tack on to things we wanted to make, want to make it sound spiritual. I can remember when I was at Bible college, we had this working bee day. And I'm pretty sure they, 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 they called it like a day of fellowship or, or something like that. And I was like, I, was, I spent all day whippersnippering out the back of the property and barely spoke to anyone. I don't know if, if I feel so comfortable calling it a day of fellowship. But, um, but, we, but we tend to do that as Christians. You know, you, you, you go for a movie with, a, with an, another Christian and you had a great time of, of fellowship. Or you come to church here on a Sunday morning and maybe you didn't actually engage with the per person sitting next to you, but you still call it a great time of fellowship. It's, this, it's just this word that we throw around. We say, okay, we as Christians did an activity together and now it's fellowship. Um, but I think there's probably more to the word. There's probably more that's going on here. And so what I want us to do is just spend a bit of time unpacking that this morning. So the first thing that I think fellowship means is that it's partnership, and specifically partnership in Christ. So you think of, um, you think of like two soldiers um, going out to war, they're going to defend their country, and they're fighting in arms with one another for a common purpose. So they're going to defend their nation from this enemy army. And so there's a very real sense in which in the kingdom of God, when we have fellowship with one another, we are partnering with one another in the cause of Christ. We are like soldiers joining arms in the battle of God to see the kingdom of darkness driven back and the kingdom of God extended. Awesome. 
That's very good. The second element that I think fellowship is all about, and this is the one that I want to focus on this morning, is the idea of companionship or Christian friendship. So it's not just being friends with a Christian, okay, but specifically Christian friendship. There's an important distinction between those two. Not just being friends with a Christian, but Christian friendship, right? We can be friends with a Christian, but when you get together, all you talk about is sports. Or when you get together, all you talk about is the politics of America. Or when you get together, it's, it's always surrounding some activity that you're both interested in. And so, yeah, they might be a Christian friend, but it's not yet Christian friendship. When you look at God's Word, you see there's actually a very clear idea of what it looks like for us to be in Christian friendship with one another. And that is absolutely at the heart of the idea of, of fellowship. And so um, here at Grace House, God is at work building our culture at this moment. Now we keep talking about this over and over again. God is busy building our culture. Um, he keeps on telling us to get our dirty little fingers off of the strategies and the way that we're going to reach the community. And he keeps telling us to get our focus back on culture. Um, so like we've mentioned before, we're very much in the season of, of seeking the Lord, of pressing in, of waiting upon Him, for Him to show us specifically what He wants us to do as the church when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission, winning souls and discipling them. But in the meantime, as we wait upon God to give us greater clarity, God is asking us to be focusing on culture. Now we've, we've, we've been talking about that a lot and we've spoken about the different things that God wants to be doing here in our midst. But one of the things that, I, that God has really been placing on our hearts is this idea of friendship. So a, about six weeks ago, I had this dream. And, um, and it's just been, it's been so fun. Actually, it's been the funnest thing. God's been speaking so much through dreams um, in this last little bit. I never thought I would make an announcement like that from a stage and, um, and, um, <laughs> and not like hide my face or something like that. But God has been speaking to Pat and I through, um, through, through dreams. Or God speaks to, to Pat through dreams. Like, I don't know, Pat's just like this funnel of like collection of dreams where God just speaks to him through, through the dreams in like a crazy way. And I think I've sort of just jumped into Pat's slipstream a little bit. And so I've been catching a few dreams. But it's been, it's been amazing because it's not just like we're dreaming and then making things up. It's like God's speaking and then He's confirming it in so many different ways that it's Him that has given us um, these messages through dreams. And so I had this one particular dream and, and one, in um, one part of the dream, I had just um, finished school and um, I was waiting in the, in the car park area and someone came up to me with a, with a tennis ball and they lobbed the tennis ball at me. And so I caught the tennis ball and I lobbed it back at them. And then they caught it and they lobbed it back at me. And then this just continued going. We're lobbing this tennis ball at one another. And the next moment I look over on the school grounds and all these people are coming out of everywhere with, a, with tennis balls, lobbing them at one another. So it's just like there's tennis balls flying everywhere. There's people lobbing tennis balls everywhere. It's just like all, all over the place. And then I get in a car and I, and, I, and I drive off away from the school and I get this call from a um, teacher who was the um, vice principal at the school that I was at in um, primary school. And um, he's on the phone and he says to me, Tianus, um, um, we love this culture of friendship that you have developed within the school, but we are worried that you might turn out like the church in Philadelphia and lack substance. And that was that part of the dream and it finished. And so I woke up in the morning, I was like, okay, what, what was that? Um, this culture of friendship you're happy with, but you're worried we might turn out like the church in Philadelphia. 
And I remember, oh, actually, the Church of Philadelphia, that's in the book of Revelation. Jesus um, gives the angel a message to go to the Church of Philadelphia. I should open it up and go and read what, what God had to say to the church in Philadelphia. And so I, I open Revelation up, I go to it, and guess what? The church in Philadelphia is one of two churches that a letter was sent to that actually had nothing negative said about it. And so it was this real play on, play, like, um, play on idea. We were worried you might turn out like the church in Philadelphia, but when you go and look at the church of Philadelphia, they were just being encouraged. And, um, and then when you look at the word Philadelphia, it actually means brotherly love. And so I think what was going on in this, in this dream is this picture of someone coming and throwing a tennis ball to me and then me throwing it back. It's this idea of us um, um, being in friendship with one another. This idea of us ministering to one another, them giving to me and me giving in return back to them. And it's just going back and forth. And in the school representing um, us as Christians, us as the church, with all these people showing up, ministering to one another, right? They're, they're, they're throwing tennis balls at one another. And it's this culture of friendship, this culture of brotherly love. And as that is cultivated, it produces something just like the church of Philadelphia where things are not lacking. So awesome message to receive from a dream. And then God ends up confirming it through um, different avenues in the, uh, in the weeks to follow to, just to make it clear that I wasn't being crazy in my interpretation of it. Um, so one of the things that God is doing is He is developing this culture of friendship where it's not just me and Pat ministering to you. It's not just this person leading a Bible study group and discipling the people in their Bible study group, or this person starting a ministry and discipling the people within their ministry, but us as individuals coming together and ministering to one another. And that is critical in the developing of a church that is actually healthy. It's absolutely critical. And so um, when you look, at, you look at God's Word, it is um, really clear that that Christianity is a, is a religion that is, that is based on friendship. It's a religion that is based on friendship. So you have some religions where it's about isolation. Think of something like, like, like Buddhism, where the big emphasis is on getting alone by yourself and to, to meditate, to go inward and to discover truth in that sort of way. Um, or there's other religions that aren't so much about isolation, but they're about things that are more about control and about domination. Think of something like, like, like Islam, where there are these, these rules that are put in place, these statutes that are put in place, these hierarchies that are put in place, and it's about getting control and getting order according to the certain way of thinking or our living. We look at Christianity, you discover that Christianity is actually at the heart of it very much about friendship, very much about fellowship. In fact, when you look at God's Word, you'll see that there's actually... There's, there's 50, I think it's 59 commands for us to do something to one another or for one another. 59 commands in the New Testament for what we're supposed to do for or, um, or um, to one another. So what I want to do is actually read out all 59 of these for us this morning, all right? Because I want to make sure you get it, all right? This is how important it is in God's Word. So we got some help up here on the screen, all 59 of them. Number one. Be at peace with each other. Number two, wash one another's feet. Number three, love one another. Number four, love one another. Number five, love one another. Number six, love one another. Number seven, love one another. Number eight, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I'm not going to keep counting in them. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you, instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
that, that one doesn't quite apply in the same way. So I wanted to clarify that one. Not just during COVID time, but also outside of COVID time. Yeah, yep. Let's contextualize that one to our context. Prefer a handshake, thank you. Um, so um, I lost my number. There we go, kiss. Uh, number 16, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Number 17, have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you, have, you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Okay, we're almost there. Home stretch. Ten to go. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Sorry, there's more, there was more than 10 to go. I missed my numbers. Oh, 51. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a holy, with a kiss of love. Love one another, 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 love one another. There you have it. 59 commands. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I didn't collect that list. Okay, just so you know, <laughs> that was straight from a website. That would have been an absolute mission collecting that. Um, but there you have it. All of those one another commands. One another commands. And so if we're talking about friendship and specifically Christian friendship, if you want to know what it looks like, it looks like all of those one another's. And if, so if we're going to be this church that is actually going to have this culture of friendship, well, here's our marching orders. Here, here is how we're supposed to go about doing exactly that. And if we cultivate that type of atmosphere here in our midst, that is going to produce, we're going to be part of producing this greenhouse atmosphere that we're going after as a church, where people can come in and they can be celebrated, they can be appreciated, they can be built up, they can, we can help them bear fruit, and then we can release them to go and do the things that God has called them to do within His kingdom. Now, I just want to take a step back a little bit from these practical commands, and we'll loop back to them again at the end of the sermon. But I just want to ask the question of, why does friendship matter so much within the kingdom of God? Why does, why does friendship matter so very much? And the answer that I want to give to that, the one I want to focus on this morning, is that it matters so much within the kingdom of God because friendship matters that much to God. It matters that much to Him. The first thing that we need to take note of is that God has for all eternity actually existed in a perfect friendship. The friendship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The friendship of the Trinity. And so what you have with, within the very Godhead is these three distinct persons who have forever perfectly loved one another, perfectly served one another, 
perfectly delighted in one another, perfectly celebrated one another. It's the picture of a glorious friendship that has existed forever. And when God created the world, what, um, how theologians describe it, and I, and, I, and I love this description, is that God went and He created from the overflow of His being. And so He is this being that exists in perfect friendship, and then He makes this creation in which we too long for friendship, and we, we um, long to be a friend to others. So we long to be known, and we long to know. We long to be loved, and we long to love, and that is because we have been created from the overflow of God's being. We are the image bearers that reflect this very characteristic of God. And so, as we as we um, think about this this morning, um, we should we should realize that this that this longing for friendship that we have is actually a really good thing. Of course, Satan comes along and he twists it, and often makes it very selfish and very 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 self-centered, and we end up hurting each other in friendships and. And um, when we lack friendships, he really um, pushes very hard on the wound of loneliness so that you feel abandoned and you feel neglected. But in and of itself, just this desire of friendship that we have, it's actually a glorious gift from God because it reflects something in us that comes from Him. That's the first thing, where we, first way where we see friendship or um, 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 God delighting in friendship. The second way that we see it is in the fact that God actually wants friendship with us. Um, so why does friendship matter in the kingdom of God? Because God delights in friendship, but we can see that in the fact that He wants friendship with us. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever stopped to really, really contemplate the significance of that. That the creator of the universe, right, the one who is upholding and sustaining everything this very moment by the power of His Word, the one that is, that, that, that is so holy that it says that we cannot actually even look upon his unveiled glory without dying, right? We, we have never seen the fullness of His glory actually unveiled, right? He is, he is, he is, he is in so many ways so other than us and so beyond us and so infinitely majestic over us that this being would care to be friends with you and I. That he would, he would actually want to enter into a friendship with us. It, it's, it, like, just to give you an analogy, it would be like you... And it'd be like you, you know, if you're walking on the side of the road and you spot an ant's nest, you think, man, I would love to condescend to be a friend to all of those ants. You know, I want to know them so intimately. I want to be involved in the details of their lives. I want to carry their burdens. I want to feel their brokenness. I want to be concerned with the things that they're concerned with. I wish I could just stoop to their level and be their friends. Some of you are like, I'd actually enjoy that. That'd be very, very fun, <laughs> right? But as a momentary experience, right, to, to condescend to that level, yeah, sure. But God wants to, con to our, condescend to our level permanently and know all the intimate details of our lives. He actually wants to be our friend. So John, John chapter 15, verse 13, verse 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. We're not just servants. We're not just slaves of God. God actually welcomes us into a real felt experience of friendship with him. Absolutely glorious. 
And not only does he, does he give us the invitation to enter into friendship with him, but we see that he has gone to the uttermost extent of making the ultimate sacrifice in order to make that way absolutely clear for us to come into being friends with him. So what is it that inhibits you and I from actually experiencing God as a friend? What, it is our sin. It is our, it is our rebellion. It is the fact that, 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 that we rather choose to live these independent lives, these autonomous lives, these, these self-centered lives, and that sin that exists within our hearts, that's the very thing that separates us from God and drives us away from Him. But God sees that, and because of the great love that He has for us and that incredible desire to actually be in friendship with us, He makes the ultimate sacrifice of laying down His very own life, taking the consequences of sin upon Himself, to make a way for you to enter into friendship with Him. So not only does He just desire it, but He demonstrates how much He desires it by making the ultimate sacrifice for you. To redeem you, to, to make way for forgiveness of your sins, to bring you in. So this morning, I just want to emphasize this for you, that, that you have this very clear within your own heart and mind. God wants you to know Him. And God wants you to, to intimately experience Him as your very own friend. The best of friends that, 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 that carries all your burdens and that heals all your brokenness and that knows all the mess in your life but doesn't judge you. That is there to support you on those difficult and hard days, but that is also there to rejoice in the really, really good times. God wants to be that friend in your life. So if you're here this morning, you're not yet in friendship with God, let me encourage you to come to Him this very day, enter into a real relationship with Him through what Jesus has done at the cross, and I guarantee you, you will experience Him as the best of friends. So that is why friendship matters, part of the reason why friendship matters so much in the, in the kingdom of God is that the God delights in friendship. He has always existed in friendship and He wants friendship with us. But as we think about this, 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 this culture of friendship that God is developing here at Grace House, there's a couple of key things that I really want to focus on that I think is going to help us to develop this culture of friendship. You know, if you think about like a recipe and you've got a few key ingredients that you've got to make sure isn't, is definitely in the recipe so that whatever you're trying to cook is actually going to happen. Um, um, what are those key ingredients? Well, I've got a few key ingredients here for us this morning. As we cook up some friendship. Number one, as we want to um, pursue Jesus with each other. We want to pursue Jesus with each other. So think about those first disciples that, um, that at the beginning weren't, weren't necessarily going to be good friends. You think about someone like Levi, the tax collector, right? ending up in the same group as a religious zealot, right? You're not built for friendship, right? When you've, as the tax collector, abandoned your people, and then as a zealot, you're willing to kill people for the sake of your people. Like, it's like, you're not built for being friends. But what happens is, is these guys get called by Jesus, and they get brought together, and then they follow Jesus with one another, and they worship God with one another, and they pray with one another, and then fall asleep while they should be praying with one another. Like, they're, they're, they're doing all these things with one another in pursuit of Jesus. And for us as Christians, this has to be at the heart of what 
um, 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 is in our friendship with one another, what the, the, that is the makeup of our friendship, is that when we gather with one another, we are pursuing Jesus with each other. Right? It's, 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 it's not just a friendship that is, that is horizontal about us caring about the details of one, one another's lives. It's us coming together and being vertically focused, running after Jesus, where we pray with one another, we read the Word with one another, we are intentional about building each other up, we are, we are spending time in the presence of God, all these things with one another in the pursuit of Jesus. That's the first thing I want to mention. The second thing I want to mention, the se- um, second ingredient here in the culture of friendship, is that we champion each other. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 reads, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Now, I used to, um, I used to run cross-country cross when I was at school. And, um, and um, when, when you would do the cross-country circuit, um, we would always start on the main oval and you'd have all your house teams set up. Uh, and the blue house and the, the green house and the red and the yellow house. And, um, and then you would have to run the circuit around the school out into like the bush property and then come back into the school again. And um, I used to love cross country, but I can tell you the part where I always ran the fastest is when you're coming around that circuit and you're making it past your house and the whole house is cheering for you. Maybe you just want it to be a little bit impressive. You'd be like, oh, look how fast I've been running this whole time. But um, not really, of course, because you're just running fast when, you, when you're going past the houses. But, um, but I can, that, that, whole, that whole moment of coming past those houses and everyone's cheering you on in that very moment enabled you to actually press past the hardship and press past the fact that you've got a stitch that's killing you this very moment um, so that you can push on and, and, and run faster. And that's just the simple power of encouragement. It's just the simple power of championing someone else on. Now, for all of us, we've got hard lives, right? Our lives are full of struggles. Our lives are full of sin. Our lives are full of other people's sin affecting us, right? Life is challenging. There's no doubt about it. And if we're going to be a culture of friendship, we're going to need to be a culture where we champion each other on. Where when we get together, it's not about me exalting myself over you and me making myself look good over you or you, me trying to impress you or something like that. But it's about us spotting the good in one another and spotting what's valuable in one another and seeing when the other person's struggling and then getting behind them and cheering them on and championing on in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. We are all pilgrims running after the same prize running the same journey with one another. We're all going towards the heavenly city, running that same track, going through the valleys, going up the mountains, and we need to be getting behind one another, championing each other on in that. It makes for such an incredibly beautiful environment when that type of honor, that type of encouragement is, is, um, is, is, is present within, within um, a church. So let me just encourage you, be intentional in that with one another. When you see something good about the other person, Point it out. Call it out. Like, let them, let them know that you see it. If you're blessed by something in them, let them know that you're blessed. I think for so often we, we worry, like, oh, well, I don't want to puff them up. And I don't want to build up their pride. I don't want them to think more highly of themselves than what they ought to. Okay, that's true. We don't want people to have that. But that's their problem, not your problem. Your job is to encourage Right? That's, that's your job. The Bible's made that very clear. Encourage them. They can then go before God and wrestle with the pride and the things like that that we all need to wrestle with. Okay? 
So that's the second thing, champion each, each, each other on. So be intentional about seeing good in, in each other and calling it out. The third thing I want to mention is vulnerability, sympathy, and compassion. So Romans chapter 12, verse 15, says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, verse 18, says if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So let's look at those three words, vulnerability, sympathy, and compassion. Vulnerability. What that means is that you need to actually be open to the people around you. You know, it's interesting, uh, as I was preparing the sermon, um, I read an article um, where a bunch of psychologists were listing the three most important things for a friendship to, to thrive. Um, and the first thing that they said is, is love. So, this, so, so, so these aren't Christian psychologists. They're just psychologists. They just, they just did, did a study on friendship. They said the first most important thing is love. The second most important thing, in no particular order, is loyalty. And the third thing is emotional openness. And so if you have those three things in a friendship, the friendship is bound to last and it's bound to thrive. But if you knock out any one of those three things, the friendship is not going to be able to move forward. I thought that was so interesting, you know, that, that you can have psychologists within the world spotting these truths that we as the church have been told by God from the, from the beginning of time. And so as we think about vulnerability, emotional openness, or not just emotional openness, but letting people in on your life. Letting them see the mess, letting them see the burdens, letting them see the brokenness. It is so important in the process of cultivating genuine friendship. I think so often be, because of our pride, because of this image that we want to put up and pro project to people, we don't want to let them in. All right? we, would, we, we would prefer to just put on the brave face, put on the smiley face, keep them, at, keep them at arm's distance a little bit, because at least then they will think more highly of me, and they won't see me as I really am. But that's not the way forward for us as Christians. The way forward for us as Christians is to embrace humility. It's to humble ourselves before people and to let God exalt us where He wants to exalt us. And so what that means is that we should be okay about letting people see our mess because we're not trying to impress people. We're not, we're not trying to get them to think highly of us. We just want to be humble before God so that He can exalt us. And so let me just... in encourage you in that to be intentional about being open and being vulnerable with one another. Now, I do want to add is that you do not need to feel the pressure to be open and vulnerable with every single person that breathes, right? Like, you don't, you don't have to feel the need to go and tell every single person here within the church the things that you're struggling with or the burdens that you're carrying or the, the brokenness that is in your life. You don't have to feel that burden. But you should at least have some people within your life that you know and that you trust, and you value their input, and you would go to them and talk to them about these things. So that is, that is so very important, vulnerability. The second thing is, is sympathy. So you being able to rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Now, I've had to do a lot of learning in this area. Um, my wife, for, for, for those of you that know my wife, she has just naturally incredibly gifted by God in this, in this area. Um, she feels other people's burdens. We can just, we can just talk about things that, that, that someone's struggling with. She doesn't even have to know the person. 
And we can talk about the struggle that they're going through, and she will feel so deeply for them. She will, she will, if, if, if you're sitting down with her and sharing a, a struggle with her that, that you're going through, it will not be uncommon for her to start crying before you even start crying, right? She just naturally has this heart of sympathy, and I've had a lot of learning to do within this area to, 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 um, for the Holy Spirit to grow me in that type of sympathy, because that's exactly what God is like. You know, God doesn't look upon your suffering and look upon your struggle and just stay at a distance and go, well, you better fix this problem sometime soon because it's becoming a real burden to me. You know, if you could just, just stop praying to me about this pain in your heart, I'd, I'd really appreciate that because, you know, I've got planets that I've got to keep in orbit and this is, just, this is just becoming a bit too much. That's not the heart of God. God stoops. Right, to the uttermost. He's willing to condescend to the lowest of the low, to the deepest, darkest, most painful parts of our human heart. And He's happy to sit there with us in that pit and to hurt with us as long as it takes for us to get out of the pit. A God of perfect selflessness and perfect patience and compassion is willing to sit there with us in our hurt, to weep with us in our brokenness. And so we need that in our relationships with, with one another. And the third thing is compassion. To then be willing to actually go and not just feel people's pain, but to do something about it. So we read there in 1 John chapter 3 that it says, How can any of you see your fellow believer in need, but then withhold compassion with him? How does God's love reside in him? So if you know someone's struggling, if you see they're having a hard time, you know that, man, family life has been difficult for this couple of late, just because of work's expectations and because they got all these little kids running around, or maybe... Maybe I should go and ask to babysit one of the kids, or maybe I can, I can cook a meal for them, or maybe I can just give them a call and, and ask them how they're going and pray for them over the phone. Just something basic like that. John's saying, how can you see the other person suffering and struggling and not do something about it if the love of God really resides inside you? And so we want vulnerability, sympathy, and compassion. The fourth thing is we want accountability and counsel. So Proverbs chapter 27 verse 9 says, Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. So in another way of saying, he's describing the counsel of a friend as being like this sweet fragrance, and being like this, like this oil that brings joy to the heart. I know for me, um, I've got friends that I, that I go to, um, about all sorts of things, right? Whether it's, whether it's marriage struggles, whether it's personal sin, even when it's got to do with decisions that we've got to make here in, the, here in the life of the church, I will go to these friends, and instead of just sitting with my own little counsel and my own little thoughts and my own ideas, I go to these friends and I talk to them about it. I say, hey, what do you think about this? What, what's your perspective on this? What do you feel like God's putting on your heart about the situation? And I can't tell you how many times just that simple act of going outside my own head and outside my own heart and going to a friend, putting these things before them in a humble way and saying, hey, what do you think or what's God showing you? I can't tell you how many times God has used that to actually bring real enlightenment to me or to encourage me or to, or to build me up. And so I want to, in, in, in the same way, we need to be this community where we are continually relying upon one another, right? God loves speaking to the other people in your life. I don't know why, well, I do know why he does that, but it's one of the most frustrating things. Like, I'd love it if he just came straight to me all the time. 
and just gave the counsel directly to me. He's like, God, I need an answer to this. I need an answer. God, I need an answer. God, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And then I catch up with Tim, and then Tim gives me the answer. I'm like, why, God? Like, you could have just told me. You didn't need to wait for me to go talk to a friend about it. But God wants to cultivate that friendship. He wants to create the community of people that are interdependent on one another. And so go to one another for, for, for counsel. But then also there's accountability. You know, we can all be buffheads sometimes. Like we, can, we can all have these massive blind spots in our lives. You know, you think you're doing so fantastic, but you've got this huge blind spot here that you cannot see, but everyone else around you can see it. it just, it's just the fact that the rest of the people that in your life are just feeling a little bit too cautious to tell you about it. But your friends, they're a whole different story, aren't they? Your good friends will just point it out to you. Okay, this, this thing going on in your life is absolutely not okay. I can remember this irritated me so much. When I was in, when I was in grade 11, I had this role in a school musical that was like an Elvis Presley. And, um, and so part of the, part of the, like, the um, role in the actual, the actual um, play was, like, you had a bunch of girls that were, like, really interested in you as, like, the Elvis Presley character. And so my friends at school in grade 11 took it upon themselves just to make sure that I had no transition, like, like crossover from the Elvis Presley character to who I was in real life. And they would continually remind me all the time that I'm not really that great, that I'm not really that good that I should not get arrogant, that always checking up and making sure that there was not this crossover between these, these personalities or these personas. And it used to irritate me so much because they would, like every week, like call me out and stuff, oh, I guess you think you're really fantastic, aren't you? Stuff like that. And Ben Smith is one of them right there, the culprit. <laughs> um, but that's what friends are for. It's accountability right? They're, they're, they're there to keep you accountable. The things that other people aren't saying to you, they're there to say it to you. And so as we think about this, okay, counsel and accountability, you need to be like, once again, vulnerable enough and humble enough to go to people and ask them for their ideas, ask them for what they think, what God's showing them. But then with accountability too, you need to have the humility to have people actually speak into your life and to call you out on things, to point out your sins to you and for you to not retaliate in the moment that they do it or push them away the moment that they do it, even if you disagree with them, at least receiving it, saying thank you for being honest and, and telling me how you see the situation and then going to God and letting God highlight to you what is true and what is not. And the last thing I wanted to mention, if you think about cultivating a culture of fellowship is fun and enjoyment fun and enjoyment. This has been actually a, um, a, a bit of a learning curve for me in my um, Christian experience um, because well, I think when I was first a Christian, that was obvious to me. Like, of course, you have a lot of fun and enjoyment with your, with your Christian brothers and sisters. Many of you know my story. You know the journey that I've, that I, that I've been on. For a while there, I became quite religious and um, became quite legalistic and, and was taught that, you know, as a minister, you need to have your life all together and it's not really about having fun and enjoyment with your friends. Um, you just got to have it all together. And so it, it really actually inhibited me from experiencing the blessings of fellowship the way that God intends the blessings of fellowship to be experienced. And um, 
I remember when God really started actually um, exposing this to me. It was actually through a word of knowledge. We were, we were praying one time at the previous church, and someone gave me a word of knowledge, and they said they saw the word love, but, um, but something was missing in the word love. It was just like the, the letter V was actually missing in the word love. And they said, I think it just means that there's, there's something missing in your love, the way that you love people. And we, we finished um, that, that catch-up, and then Bryn came and grabbed me afterwards, and he said, hey, um, and was very humble and kind about it. He said, but I, th- I, think, I think what that thing is that they mentioned that's missing in your love is actually fun. And, um, and I just like, nah, probs not. <laughs> I did store it up. I was like, God, is that true? Is that true that, that fun is, is missing in my love, in the way that I love people? And I, I sat on it for, for months and meditated on it and prayed upon it because it's, for some reason it stuck. Like, it wasn't just a passing comment that someone made. When Bryn made that comment, it actually stuck. It was like the Holy Spirit was, was actually behind it. And I realized in the, in the coming months that absolutely, that is so right. In, my, in many of my, my, my close friendships, I had actually sucked the fun and the enjoyment out of the friendship because I felt like I had to be this minister. I felt like I had to be this religious person, this person that could speak into their life or something like that. But in, in return, it was actually ruining the friendship and was inhibiting me and the other person from really enjoying friendship as the gift that God intended it to be. And that's exactly what you find in false religions and in um, Christianity that has a spirit of religion at work in it, is that it destroys fun and it destroys enjoyment. Um, so 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 5. Um, I just want to read this out for us. It says, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose conscience is seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, be careful that in this last age, there are going to be demonic spirits that are going to be at work to specifically snuff out the enjoyment of good things within the church. So he, he, he lists some of them. He says that they will forbid marriage. They would demand abstinence from food that was created by God to be received with, um, with, with, with gratitude. And then he goes on to talk about how everything that was created by God is good and to be received with thanksgiving. And so one thing that, that you see in false religions and you see in, in Christianity where there is like d- um, demonic influence, specifically the spirit of religiosity, is that it will try to snuff out fun and it will try to snuff out enjoyment. God has created this world for us as His image bearers to enjoy, right? It is here for us to enjoy. He is a good Father that has given us good blessings. And just like a dad gives a present to the kid on on their birthday, God wants us to enjoy the good blessings. And one of those great blessings is friendship. Actually just having a good time with one another, enjoying the good things within God's creation. And so... The fifth ingredient here for us as a church is we build a culture of friendship. It's building a space where we actually just have fun with each other. We enjoy one another. We have a good time. We're not scared to, to, to just delight in the good gifts of God's creation with one another. That we don't all the time, like you don't, you don't want to be the Christian, you know, where, where, where it's all about, like I said before, you just talk about sports, you talk about politics, you're just doing stuff together and you're never pursuing Jesus together. 
But you also don't want to be the Christian on the other side where everything is, oh, brother, oh, sister, oh, let me pray for you. Everything is all high and lofty and incredibly spiritual, and you're just never human beings with one another. You don't want that either. And so that's the fifth thing I wanted to mention here for us this morning is fun and enjoyment. So let me just go through that list again. Um, We want to pursue Jesus with each other. We want to champion each other. We want to be vulnerable, sympathetic, and compassionate. We want to counsel each other and give accountability. And then we want to have fun and enjoy each other. And so as we work at being this, 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 this greenhouse, this atmosphere where people can come and they can thrive, it's going to be essential for us to develop this culture of friendship. I think that's what God's already been doing. It. It's been so amazing to see Him developing this here within our midst. But just as I wrap things up, I want to give an encouragement. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I, I feel like I've been here for a while. I'm struggling to connect with people in a, in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Or maybe you find yourself a bit more shy and, and you, you struggle with it. I want to encourage you to just continue down the path of selflessness in this, in this process just continue saying, even though I feel like I'm not connecting the way that I want to, or even though I find it's a bit hard for me, just continue, just just step out, try and make those connections, and love on other people, and then trust that God, by His Spirit, will raise up deep, genuine, real friendships for you, where you can experience that knowing and loving in return, so don't give up, don't be disheartened, just keep on depending on God, down that path of selflessness, and I'm sure that God will cultivate those things for you. Awesome. Music team, if you can come up, that would be, that'd be really good. And if you could all please stand with me. <clears throat> Let me just once again just make it very clear. Um, you know, like even though we... We'll never be perfect friends for one another. We want to be, right? And that's what we're striving towards by the, by the grace that God gives. Once again, let me emphasize there is one who is a perfect friend, and that's Jesus Christ. And um, if you're here today and you do not yet know Jesus as your own personal friend, then I want to encourage you just today during this time of worship, go to Him in prayer and say, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you as a friend. Thank you for dying for me on that cross and making a way for me to be saved. I come receive that salvation so I can know you as my friend today. And um, I guarantee you God will see your heart and he'll meet you right where you're at. So let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you're here with us this morning and um, that you're ministering to our hearts, Lord, and that you're building something exciting here in our midst. Um, that we do not labor in our own strength and it's not by our own efforts, Lord, or by our our own strategies or strength or any of those things that we're building this church, Lord, but that you are building it by your spirit and that your word is at work cultivating something beautiful here in our midst. And we just rejoice in that this morning and we invite you to keep on doing it, Lord. We want more of you. We want more of your kingdom. We want more of your presence. We want more of your truth. We just want you to have your way, God. So convict where you need to convict and encourage where you need to encourage and let this place be built up as a temple, Lord, in which your glory can be made manifest. And then also we just pray for each of our lives. We ask that you would make us good friends. Lord, as simple as that sounds, Lord, we know that it's so deep. And we ask that you would make us the type of people that are friends um, that, that will reflect your divine friendship, Lord. 
Lord, that we will love and we will serve and we will delight in each other and we will have fun with each other. Um, that we will have this culture, Lord, that will reflect your heart and reflect your kingdom. Lord, so please, we invite you in to do whatever you need to do. Um, give us that brotherly love. Let us be like that Philadelphia church, Lord, um, where we experience that brotherly affection. Let it all be for the glory of your name and for the extension of your kingdom here on the earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.